0: Welcome to the Leadership Meets Life Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Phil Berge. Every episode I challenge you to connect action and wisdom on your leadership journey. Each podcast features a leadership tool or approach to apply immediately to your work and life, drawing from my experiences as a business owner, nonprofit executive, educator, process consultant, and executive coach. If you'd like to dig deeper, check out other episodes at leadershipmeetslifepodcast.com and my blog at leadershipmeetslifeblog.com. Join me as I bring some theory, a little humor, and some practical wisdom served up in about 20 minutes while you exercise, drive, cook, or whenever you're ready to grow. Thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Phil Berge, and I'm excited to share this 11th episode of the Leadership Meets Life podcast. This episode is my fourth in the 2022 series focused on learnings from the fascinating fields of neuroscience. Today we'll look at current understanding of willpower and motivation. We'll learn about the progress principle, as well as fixed and growth mindsets, among many other things. And as always, we'll make some practical connections to leadership and life. I'll be referencing some resources you may find helpful to do your own exploring, as well as drawing on my experiences. So let's get started. Okay, so here's the honest truth. I procrastinated in developing the script for this podcast. There, I said it. And while I'm doing the whole vulnerable truth-telling thing, I wrestle a lot with procrastination. No doubt some of you do too. Four podcast episodes ago, in episode eight, when I began this year-long focus on learnings from the neurosciences, I said this about the basis for my blogging and podcasting about neuroscience, an area of study in which I am not an expert. I said, it's personal. I have three reasons for tackling this neuroscience project in my 2022 Leadership Meets Life podcasts and blog. Number three, I believe there are enormous applications of neuroscience to leadership that are otherwise buried in books and articles that many leaders may not have time to read. Reason number two, preparing my podcast episodes and writing blog posts is the best way I know to embed my initial learning phase into a more lasting integration in my own understanding. And reason number one, by putting myself out there with this neuroscience series, I'm creating an accountability to put into practice in in my own leadership life, the many important learnings I'll be sharing. I ended by saying, it's a vulnerable and scary journey for me, and I'm excited that you're traveling with me. And it has been a vulnerable and scary journey in a way, and it's also been very rewarding. I've appreciated hearing from some of you what you've been learning as you listen to my podcast and read my blog. The truth is good leadership requires appropriate vulnerability. None of us has it all together. And if you do, why are you wasting your time listening to my podcast? Neuroscientist Irina O'Brien calls procrastination short-term mood repair. (laughs) Okay, short-term mood repair certainly sounds better than procrastination. So what's going on when this short-term mood repair, AKA procrastination occurs? Dr. O'Brien explains it this way, and I'll keep this practical instead of all neurosciency about dopamine and fruit fly studies with foul odors versus sweet odors. Simply stated, if we're anxious about a task we need to do and we decide to put it off until tomorrow, That's experienced like a failure that follows our anxiety but our anxiety disappears for now and we feel relief. Relief is the reward and the more a behavior is rewarded the more likely we are to repeat it. James Clear, author of Atomic Habits that has sold over 5 million copies in just over three years addresses the matter of procrastination by way of a phenomenon called time inconsistency that helps explain why procrastination seems to pull us in, despite our good intentions. Time inconsistency, he says, and I quote, refers to the tendency of the human brain to value immediate rewards more highly than future rewards. He says it this way, the best way to understand this is By imagining that you have two selves, your present self and your future self. When you set goals for yourself, like losing weight or writing a book or learning a language, you're actually making plans for your future self. You're envisioning what you want your life to be like in the future. Researchers have found that when you think about your future self, it's quite easy for your brain to see the value in taking actions with long-term benefits. The future self values long-term rewards. However, he continues, while the future self can set goals, only the present self can take action. When the time comes to make a decision, you're no longer making a choice for your future self now you are in the present moment, and your brain is thinking about the present self. Researchers have discovered that the present self really likes instant gratification, not long-term payoff. So the present self and the future self are often at odds with one another. The future self wants to be trim and fit, but the present self wants a donut, end of quote. Well, there you have it. If you want to read more from James Clear about procrastination, I've included a link in the program notes for this Leadership Meets Life podcast episode. I've also included a link to a short video clip of James Clear speaking about how to get 1% better every day. Check them out. So let's shift from procrastination to getting better. Getting better involves getting started. But what if I don't feel motivated to get started? Well, if you look up the definition of motivation, the good old dictionary says the act or process of motivating, the condition of being motivated. Okay, fine. So what's the definition of motivate? Well, it's to provide with a motive. So I can play this game. What's the definition of motive? turns out to be something such as a need or desire that causes a person to act. So it sounds like we're back to the future self wrestling with the present self again. If you ask James Clear about motivation, he says, many people think they lack motivation when what they lack is clarity. Now for me, that adds some important texture to the conversation. A number of years ago, The Get Things Done guru, David Allen, based his productivity model on breaking down goals to their smallest parts in order to take action. To this day, when I write to-do lists, I like to begin with an action verb followed by a first actionable step. For example, writing a podcast script could go on a to-do list as write podcast script. But more helpful would be pull together materials for motivation and willpower topic, followed by another task called read materials and take notes or draft outline for motivation and willpower topic. You get the idea. Having a big thing out there, for me at least, is more difficult than being able to visualize the first and successive actionable steps. And that relates to another factor in motivation. It's called the progress principle and the corresponding progress loop based on research by Teresa Amabile and Stephen Kramer. Amabile and Kramer studied the inner work life of hundreds of workers. Inner work life was defined in three parts, perceptions and thoughts, which is making sense about workday events, Emotions and feelings, which are reactions to workday events, and motivation and drive, which is the desire to do the work. As neuroscientist Irina O'Brien explains it, perceptions range from immediate impressions to fully developed theories about what is happening and what it means. When something grabs your attention, you start making sense, trying to figure out what it means. Your mind poses a series of questions, especially if what happened was ambiguous or or unexpected. These questions and their answers make up your perceptions. Interestingly, you are usually unaware of this process. She continues, emotions are both sharply defined and a more general feeling like good and bad moods. Emotion is the joy you feel when you finally solve a difficult problem and the frustration when your solutions fail or the disappointment when the board rejects your strategic plan or the pride when a fellow manager recognizes your creativity at a company meeting. Emotion is also the overall positive mood you feel when everything seems to be going well on a particular day or the negative mood when the day starts with a setback and goes downhill from there. And motivation. O'Brien describes, is a person's grasp of what needs to be done and his or her drive to do it at any given moment. So our inner work life is comprised of these three components, namely perceptions and thoughts, emotions and feelings, and motivation and drive. These three form a system within us because they all influence each other perceptions can influence emotions and motivation, just as well as emotions or motivations influence the rest of the system, and the system influences performance. The primary influence is motivation. So what was the outcome of the research by Amabile and Kramer from examining all the workplace diaries of workers who diligently kept track of their inner work life for this study? Well, The outcome was that the single best predictor of inner work life was making progress in meaningful work no matter how small. I'll say that again. The outcome from this inner work life study showed clearly that the single best predictor of inner work life was making progress in meaningful work no matter how small. As O'Brien sums it up, positive inner work life leads to greater creativity and productivity, and making progress, that is, being productive and creative, leads to positive inner work life. This is the progress loop, where progress and inner work life fuel each other in an upward spiral. Of course, setbacks can lead to negative inner work life that can lead to a downward spiral, end of quote. It's also worth noting that when the researchers interviewed managers asking what motivates their employees, the factor of progress didn't even come up. And by the way, a 2009 survey by McKinsey and Company on motivating people at work confirmed this outcome. I've included a diagram of the progress loop in the program notes. So the key is making progress, even baby steps, with work that feels meaningful. And frankly, having something feel meaningful is often a matter of how we frame things. The story is told that President John F. Kennedy was talking with a janitor at NASA in 1962 who explained his job as helping put a man on the moon. He framed his work as keeping the place clean and safe so his fellow employees could do their part of the work of putting a man on the moon. So the janitor's frame of reference added meaning to his work. Any amount of cleanup he did moved him forward. If this janitor hated his job, he would have seen any mess on the floor as an impediment to him keeping the place clean. Applying the concept of the progress loop more messes on the floor would create a negative inner work life, which in turn would lead to decreased motivation. However, based on what he is said to have shared with President Kennedy, it appears he not only saw cleaning up messes made by others as they did their work as necessary, he chose to see this as an opportunity to make his contribution to keep the place safe and efficient, literally doing his part to put the first human on the moon. As a leader, you likely do this more often than you may realize, and if you don't, you can learn how to do it. As I noted in a recent Leadership Meets Life podcast episode, emotions arise within us for a variety of reasons. They just do. They're simply part of being alive. Our feelings, however, are essentially the meaning we give to the emotions we're feeling. Paying attention to our emotional state can help us learn to take responsibility for our actions. As I've said before in my podcast and blog, I find the practice of mindfulness, that is taking time to meditate or pray, helps me scan my body and center myself to see what's going on and and what my options are. It's all too easy to feel like a martyr in situations when in fact we have choices. And on my less good days it takes a while before I realize that I have choices. Stanford professor and author Carol Dweck has made a career out of helping people understand and act on the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. There's actually little in life that we can fully control. At our best, much of life is realizing we can choose how we will respond to things that happen to us. Engaging a growth mindset helps us reframe situations, even assigning new meaning to what feels like a negative situation. I've included in the program notes for this episode, a TED talk by Carol Dweck on engaging a growth mindset. One challenge many of us live with is allowing a sort of unchecked automatic chatter in our mind sometimes called monkey mind. You know, like, why did he say that? What did she mean by that? Well, I'm taking this too personally. Why do I take things so personally? I hate when I do that. And on and on the chatter goes, blah, blah, blah. As I've noted in my recent blog, Emotions and Decision Making, our brain has two opposing neural networks. One called the default mode network is simply what it says. It's the default mode when we're not engaged in a task or conscious effort of any kind. It's also the mode that is active when you're thinking about yourself or others. Author David Rock, in his book called Your Brain at Work, describes the default network this way. It holds together a narrative. This narrative circuitry is a storyline with characters acting with one another over time. The brain holds vast stores of information about your own and other people's history. When the default network is active, you're thinking about your history and future and all the people you know, including yourself, and how this giant tapestry of information weaves together, end of quote. The opposite network from the default mode is the central executive network. That's the leadership center that helps us respond to a threat, engage in a task, or pursue any intentional process. Simply put, the central executive network is us in action. David Rock calls it the direct experience circuit in contrast to what he calls the narrative circuit. I say in contrast, too, because our brain can only have one of these two networks or circuits active at any given time. So, and this is my language and I'm exercising considerable creative license here to make a point. We're either alone in our mind or active with our body. Let's say I'm lying in bed after a decent night's sleep and I'm beginning to ponder the day ahead. I can spend time imagining all that my future self will get done today But until I begin leaning toward the edge of the bed so gravity can help me roll out and get my feet on the floor, my present self can't begin to actualize any of those plans. As neuroscientist, Dr. Irina O'Brien puts it, the best way to get out of our default mode network and into action is to get out of your head and literally into the room. That is, if you feel stuck, just begin. Simple baby steps help progress feel meaningful and meaning leads to action and meaningful action leads to motivation. So we get out of bed, slide into our slippers, head to the bathroom, you get the idea. Another aspect of motivation that I'll say a bit about here, but pick up more fully in my corresponding Leadership Meets Life blog on this topic is the notion of willpower. As a neuroscientist, O'Brien notes a number of hacks that can increase willpower. I'll mention a few of these hacks or strategies if you prefer. One is visualization, although don't visualize the outcome but rather visualize the process needed to get to the outcome. Visualizing the process helps reduce anxiety and facilitates planning. And you have many examples in sports where you are aware that athletes visualize what they're going to do, the whole process of how they're gonna complete what they're about to do. Another uh, strategy for increasing willpower is self-compassion. And this is in contrast to guilt and shame, which are easy enough to employ, but actually only increase our stress. Self-compassion helps motivate us by not being judgmental to ourselves. For those of us familiar with practicing breathing meditation, we know that our mind will wander as we slip from the direct experience focus of noticing our breathing to some mindless thoughts. And that the goal is simply to notice that we've wandered off and to begin again. And third strategy is tracking our success. When we can see the progress we've already made, it can help us feel motivated to anticipate obstacles that might otherwise trip us up. The reality is the jury is still out, so to speak, about the solid neuroscience evidence on fully understanding willpower. And on that point, O'Brien notes that recent research has found that people who are good at resisting temptation report experiencing fewer temptations. And people who exercised more effortful self-control also reported feeling more depleted. James Clear, whom I've already referenced, says about willpower, and I quote, perseverance, grit, And willpower are essential to success, but the way to improve these qualities is not by wishing you were a more disciplined person, but by creating a more disciplined environment. Clear defines willpower as the ability to control oneself and the decisions one makes. It's the ability to delay gratification and choose long-term rewards over short-term rewards, end of quote. Clear believes that the systems we put in place and the environment we create around us are the difference between feeling motivated or not and of getting more things done with the values of our future self versus settling instead for the short-term satisfaction preferred by the present self. As I said a bit ago, I'll be tackling willpower and related themes in more depth soon in my corresponding blog, so check that out. So how to summarize this episode's content? Well, procrastination, or if you prefer time and consistency, is short-term mood repair that exchanges current relief with future anxiety. Small and meaningful progress can lead to big wins. It's important to make our tasks small enough and clear enough so we can win. Visualizing the process of getting to a goal propels progress, but visualizing having achieved the goal hinders progress. Self-compassion can increase our resolve and motivation. Getting acquainted with our future self can lead to more positive behavior and a more satisfying life as our present self learns to take action even if we begin with baby steps. Our inner work life comprised of three components, namely perceptions and thoughts, emotions and feelings, and motivation and drive. These three form a system within us because they all influence each other. And finally, so consider practicing mindfulness as a way of getting in touch with what's actually going on in our body and to provide some quieting of the chatter in our busy mind. Well, that's about it for this episode. Check out the blog post that corresponds with this podcast. It'll be out soon. In the program notes, I referenced some great resources used to prepare this podcast, including some helpful stuff from James Clear, Carol Dweck, David Rock, Irina O'Brien, and others. I'm grateful you decided to join me for this Leadership Meets Life podcast. I'd love to hear what you found helpful about today's podcast or or what you find perplexing. Reach out to me at leadershipmeetslifepodcast.com or at leadershipmeetslifeblog.com and let's start a conversation. Next month my podcast and blog will build on the notion of the progress principle and progress loop by focusing on the neuroscience of making progress in leadership and life, including leveraging habits. And as always, I'd be honored if you'd share my podcast and blog with other folks. Finally, thanks as always to my fearless producer, Jennifer Miller of Strategically Connected, who so expertly helps me behind the scenes, including when I procrastinate. As we help you connect wisdom and action for your leadership world, for wherever leadership meets life. Stay well, friends.